Hi, friend. Welcome to episode 43 of Sally's Performing Arts Lab podcast. The Parsnip Ship artistic director and host, Ivan Edibiri, joins me on this episode. podcast host, Sally Adams. I talk to people about creating original work for a live audience. Send an email anytime to sally at sallypal.com. I started last summer doing a weekly podcast, but this summer my responsibilities have kept me from delivering every week. I will, however, be creating a new show every week and a half to two weeks until around Thanksgiving. I'll be at New York's Town Stages with a live feed on Wednesday, August 8th. More details are forthcoming, but rest assured, it will be an amazing day. I hope you'll join me in celebrating the performing arts in New York City. New York City? Check out sallypal.com slash join for the Creator's Notebook. Also, you can be a Sally Pal just by joining. Parsnipship artistic director and host Ivan Edibiri was born in Nigeria. At age three, Ivan immigrated to Brooklyn. She attended LaGuardia High School for the Arts, where she studied classical vocal music. She graduated from Boston's Brandeis University in 2013. Ivan was then awarded a Fulbright graduate scholarship that took her to Italy. She later worked at Primary Stages, Sundance Institute Theater Program, and the Public Theater. Ivan recently received a Future of Audio Fellowship from the Du School in Berlin, Germany. She also has an MA in Arts Administration from Baruch College of the City of New York. When Ivan founded Parsnipship with a partner in 2015, she focused on the artistic curatorial elements and building a team. The Parsnipship management team now includes Todd Kirkland as managing director, Katie Donnelly as producing director, and artistic associates Blaise Teicher and Rai Jelong. Ivonne and her team set out to disrupt the long-standing model for page-to-stage in the theater. Parsnipship provides producers with a way to hear emerging playwrights' works through the convenience of a podcast. The Parsnipship gives listeners the chance to hear playwrights in their actual voices with their actual intentions. There are a number of tasks that must be accomplished in pushing the Parsnipship venture forward. Ivan asserts many millennials have to make mental health a priority when the obstacle is time. But Ivan created time constraints as a way of life, including her personal challenge to visit 30 countries by the age of 30. By the way, she's already been to 27 of them. And Parsnipship is not Ivan's day job. The podcast is what she does in her free time. Each Parsnipship episode is also an interview and play reading in front of a live audience. When producing a live event that's also recorded as a podcast, good audio becomes a priority. The recording provides an asset for the playwright and reaches producers in a way that a typed script cannot. To get it right, Ivan makes sure that episodes are individually produced. This also ensures a great experience for the live audience. Parsnipship productions are free to the public, due in part to the generosity of Brooklyn's Mark O'Donnell Theater at the Actors Fund Arts Center. Ivonne and her team focus on work by artists from a variety of backgrounds, including LGBTQIA, artists with disabilities, immigrants, and playwrights of color. 
The podcast relies on donations, free space, and volunteers, and has so far been very successful. Ivan's attention to equity, diversity, inclusion, access, and opportunity are important to the mission of Parsnipship. If you are inspired to lend a hand, listen to Parsnipship and tell others. There are so many different plays by so many different types of playwrights. Ivan suggests having a Parsnipship listening party. You can even make a drinking game. And definitely, definitely sign up for the e-blast at www.parsnipship.com. During the podcast, you'll hear Ivan Edibiri and I talk about Create NYC, Nicole Zimmerer, This is America by Childish Gambino, Daniela DeJesus' The Columbus Play, Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights, and the need for women of color in administrative leadership roles in American theater. I know you'll enjoy episode 43 with Ivan Edibiri of Parsnipship. Be sure and listen until the end of the interview for concise advice from the interview and words of wisdom from George. Let's get started. start out the way I always do and say, Ivan Edebury, wait, I got to do that again. Ivan Edebury, welcome to Sally Pal. Hi, Sally. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so impressed with the stuff you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I have to start by saying you're actually pretty young to be as accomplished as you are. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I, I sometimes do feel like I'm behind because it's so easy to like compare yourself to others and then I have to remember I've on you've done a lot there are times you know where I can have a slow period in my life and I should be thankful for that because it does give me time to you know actually recharge and think about all the crazy ideas I kind of want to do and I kind of use those down times when I'm feeling like I'm not doing anything to kind of plan to start to do things. You're the producer and creator of Parsnip Ship, which is a podcast featuring fresh, original live theater. Yeah, I co-founded it with an old business partner. He's no longer with our organization, but we co-founded this thing in, in 2015 is when we started recording. And I will say it was not my idea, although like artistic curatorial elements of like my design and, you know, doing, you know, a lot of trial and error has shaped it to what it was. And then I did a program from the Bew School in Berlin. You know, I quit my job and I just spent like 40 to 60 hours a week, two and a half months in Berlin, just thinking about parsnipship and how to like make it bigger than the original intention. You know, we just wanted to record plays and and music and like, it was going to be like this chill living room kind of thing. And then I started to realize, because I, I work in the, the realm of new play development in terms of like readings and workshops and, and those things, I was producing those kind of things via my old job. So I was in that world and I kind of realized, wait, this could kind of be a, a resource in a way disrupt the, the current model that we have for developing new plays from page to stage. And for me, I really wanted, and this came out of my time in in Berlin and what's happening in the world, especially with this new administration and 
and specifically with the lip service given by nonprofit artistic organizations to promote diversity. You know, that's such like the hot topic word that I kind of hated at this point. I think it, its intention is still very much needed, but I wanted partnership eventually to give playwrights, I should say give artistic directors and artistic leaders to not have an excuse anymore for not discovering new talent because I, I understand that People who work in nonprofits, you're overworked a lot. You know, there's a lot on your plate, especially if you're an artistic director. As I've learned, there's only so many plays you can see and read and and write about before it kind of becomes overwhelming. And so I think partnership is is a good resource for playwrights to get their work out there, to actually be heard and, and be a reflection of their actual voice and their actual intentions, because reading something, as I'm also learning and still have to be cognizant of, reading something on page is very different than listening to it, which is different than seeing it, which is different than experiencing it. And I want to give these artistic leaders who are going to make these decisions about who will get produced in, in American theater this year or next year or in the next five years to not have an excuse to come to partnership and say, here are literally 20 plays by amazing, diverse, mostly emerging playwrights. Listen to them. Give them a chance to get from your ears to the stage and you know these artistic leaders can listen to partnership while washing dishes while driving it's not relegated just to i have to sit down and read this play and give it its time and attention you still can definitely with our recording but i i feel like the ease of having an audio recording should give less of an excuse to not program diverse important work by playwrights of color by female playwrights by playwrights on the lgbtqia spectrum there shouldn't be um, any excuses because that is actually the America we live in, and that's the America that should be on stage. Right. And I think you may be a part of a rising group of arts entrepreneurs. Playwrights must be coming to you in droves. So the first season, it was kind of like we were asking friends that we knew, friends, playwrights that we knew, if we could record their work. Then second season, it was kind of Okay, like we're going to still ask friends, but I also was able to use the new play exchange platform to get plays that fit my like personal interests mm-hmm. of things. I really love plays that are civic dialogues in a way. So that the second season was a mix of that. And then our third season, for our third season, I opened up submissions. And I wanted the place to be a response to the Trump administration and not necessarily plays that were about, oh, this is going to be a shitty four years, but more like, you know, the playwrights who are represented in this season are people that may not necessarily be considered people to the Trump administration. And for me, I programmed, surprisingly, a lot of queer plays in a row this past, like, spring, which I had no, didn't realize until someone pointed it out to me, but... I was like, oh, that's actually really cool because, you know, LGBTQI rights are being threatened. And this past season, we've been able to do many queer love stories. And I think that's beautiful. And that's a response to the administration in that form. And so that informed me for season four, which we're going to start up in September, is going to be dedicated to playwrights of color. So we're only programming playwrights of color If you're a person of color, you have to write something about your culture for it to be interesting. And it's like, I don't care. Write about dragons. I don't care. It's literally as long as it's a good story. I'm gung-ho to record it and to support that playwright and their work as well. When we first started, 
partnership I was dealing with recently being diagnosed with anxiety and having to deal with that. And I, I feel like being open about that has been super helpful because I don't think I know anyone who's not dealing with anxiety. And I think it's great that not great that we're all dealing with anxiety, but that you're normalizing it in the conversation. Yeah. Normalizing it and, you know, and making sure that mental health is as important as physical health, which I'm, I'm really glad that I'm part of this generation that real, recognizes that and pushes for that and is open about it and supportive about it. You have more demands on your time and physically than any other generation I can think of. Especially if you're trying to, you know, start new endeavors because people are so hesitant about it and you, you, you know, you have to like continue to like push people to be like, I am... I may be young, but I know what I'm saying, and I'm very strong in my beliefs, and I'm not going to relent. So what are some of the obstacles that you can talk about that you ran into? I think my biggest obstacle is that just, like, never enough time. I travel very often because I'm doing a 30 by 30 challenge, so 30 countries by the time I'm 30, and I'm at 26 or 27. But, of course, I, like, love cultures. I minored in anthropology at Brandeis, so I love different cultures and immersing myself in that and exposing myself to different forms of storytelling in that way. It's always a negotiation within myself about what time do I give to X, Y, Z. I have found that especially in the last six, seven months of doing partnerships specifically, my team has has grown and um, changed and solidified. I now have an amazing team, which I have to shout out. Uh, so I have Todd, who is a dear friend of mine from Brandeis. He works at Google, and he never really used to see theater or plays, and he started coming to Parsnipship and was like, how can I be a part of this? And it was like, you're great at tech stuff and managing, and that's a thing that he wants to learn in this space of managing and doing theater. And so He's our managing director, and he's really awesome at me passing on things about partnerships. So I don't have to I, – I tended to get really anxious because I had all these ideas and not mm -hmm. enough time to execute it. And I have Katie, who's our producing director, and so she helps keep me on task, especially on days for shows. And she has a very – like a producer brain. So, And then I have two awesome artistic associates – one is Blaze Teicher, who has directed for Parsnipship. She directed our February episode called I Want to Fuck Like Romeo and Juliet. She said, hey, can I join your team? And it's like, yes, like I, I want people to use Parsnipship if possible to be a stepping stone or to help their career. And then my um, last team member is Rai Zilong, who is also my roommate. So it's great that he and I kind of have the same work schedule and the sense of we'll have meetings at one in the morning about oh. partnership and that's completely normal for us. And so it's great to have people who are able to work with the time I have, are able to give their time so willingly and so beautifully. And I don't think I could do what I do without my awesome team. It seems like there would be a lot of technical aspects of that that would anxiety-producing? It's more the nitty-gritty of, of producing a live event that also will be a podcast. And because, we, you know, we were just focusing a lot on the product. The Of course, there's a live event that we focused on, but then it was like, okay, the audio is kind of what, what matters the most, quote-unquote, <laughs> because that's the thing that goes out to the world. And in a sense, 
that is still completely true. But one thing that my coach, um, NIE from this, uh, program I did with the Do School, one thing she challenged me on was, what is the audience experience like? How do they feel when they come to Parsnipship? How do they feel when they're leaving? Like, are they telling their friends about it? And so being able to have a great team that I can say, I need you guys to line produce these episodes and take this on so I can focus on things like audience experience and building that up so then, you know, once one thing is done, it's like, all right, we're going to add this onto your plate of things you guys now manage. And so my team feels like they have lots of responsibility, and it also really frees me up to continue to grow and expand what partnership is because it's still like figuring out its legs but i think it's really starting to walk now and eventually in like two years it's just gonna like run so what kind of responses are you getting on the plays are people being discovered through this program the mark o'donnell theater at the actors fund who have graciously given us their space to be able to do our live events there and they have an awesome community that also comes a lot of our audiences don't know what they're there to see. They think they're just there for a reading. And then I do a pre-show talk being like, hey, this is actually a podcast recording. Um, and there's going to be an interview. And people are like, whoa, this is a thing all for free. Usually those that, that kind of show package would be, you know, tra- like it would cost money. But trying to make theater accessible, it's a core value for me. So the audience responses have been really delightful because I like the surprise look that they get when they figure out what it all is. They can listen to it and relive it in, you know, a a few short weeks afterwards. And in terms of our playwrights, they also really enjoy it because it's an asset for them. So they can now share a true reflection of this work that they have written to people who are the gatekeepers deciding whether it will be a production or not. I, I think we're we're starting to gain traction in the sense of those plays making it from our recording to the stage. You have the Actors Fund involved, but you have people coming to see your shows for free and you still are producing a podcast. That is no small amount of time and effort and money too, I'm sure. How do you fund the rest of it? Our funding for this year is covered by someone else's like giving their money to donate to this season. For mm-hmm. next season, we don't know. I, If I have to put my own personal money by working overtime at work, I will. I really think partnership has been so weirdly lucky that we are able to find people who are willing and open um, and eager to give us space in New York for free for us to do this DIY podcast. I cannot stress how fortunate that is because it could be so much more expensive and, you know, thereby impossible to continue doing the work that we do. It's really just paying our awesome sound engineer editors, Fernando and or Luke, our sound engineers, and uh, Luke DeCola is the person who usually edits our stuff. Whenever we've had to see a space, we've had to go, okay, can this work? But luckily, we've been in spaces that do work, and we will be at the Actors Fund at least for the fall of next season, of, of season four. So it, I'm really excited to continue that partnership, pseudo-resident program collaboration that we have with 
them. I think it's a great program and you really have a commitment to doing stories of the other. And I, I noticed one of the things that your playwright said on your most recent production was that his play was an act of resistance to hate. And I thought that is that's just a beautiful sentiment. I hadn't noticed anyone talking in the ones I've listened to so far about people with disabilities. Is that something that you want to tackle as well? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I finished my my master's at Baruch in arts administration. My consultancy thesis was about teaching or imparting equity, discussions of equity, diversity, and inclusion, and um, access and opportunity in addition to masters of arts organizations, because, you know, we're trained to be artistic leaders. And one of the blind spots that needs to continue to be called out is disability because, you know, when we think about EDI, we don't think about, you know, people with, you know, disabilities. We don't think about how difficult it may be for them to also access and have the opportunity to engage with with art that could be very transformative. So I love the new Department of Cultural Affairs plan that we have here in New York with the the mayor's office, which is called Create NYC, I believe. And I'm glad that it specifically highlights the need for organizations to look at how we're engaging with disabled patrons and board members and everything that runs the gamut. So I... Definitely have been thinking about that for partnership and next season and trying to do outreach with disabled playwrights of color. I'm hoping I at least get one submission for that. I think the more people can, you know, let me know that they are, you know, a disabled playwright or a disabled musician even, but would love to be a part of partnership, I want to definitely make that happen, especially since we are at the Actors Fund, which is a very accessible theater. But the Actors Fund is, you know, there are no steps. It's very nice. It's very clean. The people there are very warm and friendly. One of the people I interviewed not very long ago is Nicole Zimmerer, who is a playwright with Cerebral Palsy. And her her comment about writing characters that resemble her life experience is that this world is not made for us, which is the battle cry of the other in every situation. I believe in the other. I think the other is like the best of the coolest people to be a part of. Isn't it? (laughs) The artist is the other who's looking from the outside in and able to comment. And that to me is so vital. And yet we continually push all of those people who might have something really important to say to the edges where they can't be heard. I used to definitely think that the other used to look from the outside in, but I feel like so many people fall within the realm of other that maybe we are, you know, looking actually from the inside out. And we're trying to tell our stories and make sure that we're heard. And sometimes, you know, we get bounced back, we get hit right back at us, but sometimes it might land to the people out there. I think we need to continue to push for that, especially now while the other are under attack by our own government. I am so obsessed with uh, This Is America right now, the Childish Gambino video. I think there are some people who are waking up. This is the moment where America is confronting itself. The mirror is being held, and it's definitely scary. It's upsetting. It's frustrating. It's the it's the gamut of awful. But this weird small part of me is like, 
man, like, about goddamn time, right? I, I mean, it's, I grew up in this country kind of feeling like an outside because I'm an immigrant. I immigrated mm-hmm. from um, Nigeria when I was three. And so I've seen race and gender in a sp- very specific way. I feel like I can kind of step out of it in an, ob- an objective sense. And I, mm-hmm. and I, part of this is because I travel so much. I think my background experience with anthropology, we learn about cultural relativity. You, you know, you have to step out of it to kind of look at what a culture and a society is doing to others and to itself and be very objective about it. And I think objectively speaking that the U.S. is holding a mirror to itself and it's going to be a hard five years, I feel. But every generation has gone through it. And for maybe for millennials, I think we we think that people should be better. It wasn't demanded earlier. And I think now we're going to demand it because there's not an excuse anymore. Well, and you can see what can happen. We're all looking at this saying, how did this happen? Well, it's not impossible to figure it out. People let it happen. People didn't call out their racist grandmothers. People didn't stop men like Harvey Weinstein. Rise up, call shit out. It's going to be hard. It's going to suck. We're going to lose friends. I've lost friends. It's fine because in the end, I really want to create a better future for myself and a better future for our children and our grandchildren. So we need to to change things in any way, shape, or form. And for me, the partnership is my resistance or my theory of change or whatever I want to call it. I can't Mm -hmm. always protest. I can't always donate money. Storytelling is the underrated form of of resistance. One of our plays, the Columbus play by Daniela de Jesus, I think kind of touches upon that because that's a she wrote a modern retelling of Christopher Columbus coming to the Americas. It's really funny, but it it really talks about, you know, history is written by the winners. There are way too many false winners in our history books that we need to re- rewrite the narrative and make sure that when we talk about history, we are telling the truth because that is the most valuable resource now in the world right now is the truth. Storytelling is what holds cultures together and artists need to tell stories because otherwise those stories are going to be commandeered by other groups and told in a way that supports their agenda. Yeah, I really like same. I I think that we need to move away from people who have XYZ amount of dollars are the people in power that we should be listening to. People bent over backwards to make Harvey Weinstein happy and He did what he did for so long because he had money. Right, exactly. And I think the work you're doing is so important. And I just really thank you and appreciate you for doing whatever it is that you needed to do to get it started and continue it. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's wonderful. And I really do look forward to hearing about these playwrights on a broader stage. The playwrights of Parsnip are so amazing and so nice and kind and just generous warm human beings who are thankful for the opportunity, but I'm like, no, I'm thanking you because your stories are really pushing me. Like they wake me up every day to be like, okay, I have to do two hours of partnership work because I believe in this playwright's work and it is important. So I am going to do what I can to make sure it can be heard by people. What kind of advice do you find yourself giving to your playwrights who are produced on partnership? I definitely tell them like beforehand, hey, the first question that we asked at the top of the recording is, what would the world be missing if it didn't have this play, which is such a loaded question, and it's not something that I feel like you can spring upon a playwright. It's important for playwrights to take time to reflect on, okay, why did I write this work? 
playwrights are obviously influenced by other playwrights or influenced by other playwrights and so on and so forth. And, you know, when a, a play that is meant to be in the world is not there anymore, I think about what new learnings about life and society and love and family that I, I may be missing out on because one just one play wasn't written that could have affected a playwright, that could have affected another playwright, and so on and so forth. That could have affected a whole community of people. The whole world. Like, you know, I think about, you know, my, my favorite playwright, um, and this was before his huge monumental success, was Lin-Manuel Miranda. And I saw In the Heights, and I had just had decided I wanted to quit theater at Brandeis because I felt like I wasn't welcome in this space because I was the only black female doing theater in the undergraduate theater collective, and I felt very alienated. I felt like I had to try way harder than other folks to even just to produce stuff, because that's what I wanted to do. It wasn't like I wanted to be on stage or blah, blah, blah. It's just like, I just want to learn how to put a show together, and I quit. And then I saw In the Heights, and I saw all these people of color on stage, and it was set in New York, and I'm from Brooklyn, and the heights are similar in a way to Bed-Stuy, where I grew up in Brooklyn, and it was so awe-inspiring and, and, and moving and and just wonderful and what I needed. And then I was like, I can't quit because this is possible. And I remember thinking Lin-Manuel when I met him, and I was bawling when I met him people of color going into arts administration, like being an artist is not the only way you can be in in theater or in the arts world. You can be an administrator if you like Excel docs and like I do randomly. If you like putting things together <laughs> and telling people what to do, be a director, be a producer, be a lighting designer. It's so important for kids of color to see that from the early get because I didn't and I feel like that's part of the reason why I feel like I'm always behind is because I, I feel like I'm playing catch-up. If you were going to give advice to a person of color who wanted to work in the theater, say, it doesn't matter where you work, backstage, on stage, whatever, do what you want to do in the theater and don't don't be held back. There's so many options in, like, being an arts administrator and being an artist, and that's the biggest encouragement. People of color are needed in the arts. Women are needed as well. Like, you know, there are not... I think there's only one female artistic director of color in American theater, and there are obviously very few in comparison to male artistic directors. There are very few female artistic directors, and theater's always like, diversity, we're going to diversify this, and it's like bullshit. It's really bullshit, and so, but the only way that becomes a less bullshit is like, we need to like take over women and people of color. Let's take over. Do it and run everything ourselves. Woohoo! Well, if there's any any small way that I can encourage that, is there anything that you want people to know about your part that you're playing in all of this? Because I do see parsnipship as something that's very worthy of support. I think that if, you know, people just listen to parsnipship and tell other people, there's so many different plays on there. So it's okay if you don't like the first one that you like, just definitely preview, you know, preview what they're about. But we have so many different plays by 
so many different types of playwrights, of so many different types of races and ethnicities and sexual orientations and even the way they write and their writing styles. Everything is so different and unique that I would just suggest that people listen to as many stories as they can. Um, it's fun when you make them a drinking game, if you can. <laughs> Ways to listen to Parsnipship. We had someone do a listening party of a Parsnipship episode, and that was fun to kind of see the Snapchat. So, yeah, host a listening party of an old-time radio play that has music on there as well. And, yeah, just tell people about it. If they want to contribute, how do they do that? Sign up for our e-blast on our website, www.theparsnipship.com. So if people sign up for that to hear about, you know, when we're doing an episode and if they're in New York, they can... Definitely come by. It's free. Great. It's a great date night activity, as people have told me. I think that's that's it. Listen to our episodes and talk about us to people and let people know about us. I think that, you know, we're doing really cool, cool things and we're just starting to, you know, we're walking and then, you know, eventually we'll run. And I, I would love for as many people to know about us before that happens. Ivan Edebury, thank you so much for being on my show. I've been like so excited about this. It's time now for concise advice from the interview, where I share bits of advice from parsnip ship captain Ivan Edebury. Number six, if you are a woman of color, explore arts leadership. The American theater needs people of color, especially women of color. Number five, be grateful for stories of truth because the truth is our most valuable resource. Number four, do what you can to promote good stories. Number three, Ask yourself, what would the world be missing if it didn't have my play? Number two, being an artist is not the only way you can be part of the arts world. And the number one bit of advice from Parsnip Ship's Captain Ivan Edebiri? Tell stories. Storytelling is the underrated form of resistance. That's it for concise advice from the interview. Check out the blog, sallypal.com, for articles and podcast episodes. You, too, can be a Sally Pal. Thank you for following, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, joining, and thank you for listening. Now, I have one bit of wisdom from my husband, George, the coolest guy on the planet. George, What's your wisdom for today? To create something new, to break with tradition, is an act of defiance. Be a rebel. Well said, George. Well said. Excellent advice indeed. If you're downloading and listening on your drive to work, or falling asleep to my wacky wisdom like my sister does, let me know you're out there. Storytelling through plays, dances, opera, and other types of performances is the most important thing we do as a culture. That's why I encourage you to share your stories, because you're the only one with your particular point of view, and Sally Pal is here with resources, encouragement, and a growing community of storytellers. All the stories 
ever expressed once lived only in someone's imagination. Now, go tell some stories. I need to say that twice. I feel like I am a font of repetition. Let me move my computer so that I can actually see what I'm doing. Hey kids, I'm your Sally Pal podcast host, which is producers in a way that your typescript cannot. And reaches... <laughs> Okay, let's try that from the beginning. That's a long sentence. <laughs> okay, there it is. She also has an MA in arts. Apparently somebody doesn't want me to tell you that. <laughs>